As Christians, we want clear instructions on how we are to be righteous. We go through a lot of situations that challenge our character. We get frustrated when people at work do not treat us less they should. We get frustrated and end up treating others as we should not. We get stressed when we find out that we missed a deadline. We get caught up in the middle of gossip, and this is especially stressful when the gossip involves our friends and family. We have people in our lives who seemingly refuse to be righteous. And we all we know that the sin nature sets stumbling blocks before us all. We want clear instructions on how we are to be righteous in life. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and this is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And there's one other with me here in the studio today. Pastor Anthony Alegria. Uh, and Pastor Anthony, would you pray for us as we begin? I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts here in the studio and in the audience, and may the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. And when we look at the world around us, we realize that the things that we care about are oftentimes different than what the news media thinks that we care about. And um, we do have simple things that stress us in everyday lives that aren't so simple when we start looking at them. We realize there really is spiritual warfare just about everywhere. Um, even like today, coming in here, I run my hand up on a bolt and realize that I'm not as young as I used to be, and I haven't put as many transmissions in Mustangs as I used to, and now I'm worried that I may have fallen into the bad trap of having baby hands, where your hands are no longer just a pure callus. And we, we do hope that that is not the case. But we know when it comes to spiritual matters, Jesus does give us clear instructions. Salvation and perfection are given to those that leave behind the things of temptation and follow him. Now, it's not possible for you to achieve salvation and perfection on your own, but with God, all things are possible. It's human to want to improve in life. Jesus knows that we have stumbling blocks that affect each and every one of us differently as individuals. And if you want to change in your life, you need to work with Jesus to identify these stumbling blocks, and it's necessary to know what they are, so that once you have identified them, you can allow Jesus to work with you and quicken you for holy living. Holy living in your personal life will spread out to the world around you and bring change in all the areas that we care about. But if we're to be hoping for this, then we must be fully committed to Christ Jesus. We do not have to start off being perfected or start off as perfect, but we rather have to start off being committed. And that perfection will come with us as we grow in our relationship with Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the rich young man that comes in Matthew chapter 19. And he's a young man who is looking for clear instruction. He knows, whether consciously or unconsciously, that man was created in the image of God and death was not part of this design. We too know that sin is not part of God's design. And just as the rich young man, he wants instruction on how to navigate his circumstances towards eternal life, we want instruction on how to navigate the waters in our lives. There are two questions I want us to ponder as we move through this message. First, I want you to ask yourself, is there something in your life that is preventing you from the righteous living and joy that Christ desires for us? And for the second question, I want you to ask yourself if you have assurance that Christ will save and perfect you if you are following him. And as we will find in our text when we go to Matthew chapter 19, we're going to find that none of us are able to find salvation and perfection on our own. There is going to be a temptation in your life that easily ensnares you. There's going to be a stressor that easily stresses you. Christ teaches us that we must walk away from these things. Now, what I'm referring to is stressors and temptations that we have control over. This is not other people's behavior, but your own. Are you holding on to something that you know you should not? Or maybe you're holding on to something and aren't even aware of it. 
As Christians, we need to assert assurance in our faith rather than fall for the stumbling blocks placed by our shortcomings. Mankind has long been tempted to believe that we cannot pursue good things because of our limitations. After we hear that no mortal can achieve salvation or perfection by our own power, our minds start to create justifications to believe that such good things are not worth pursuing. And when we look at the world around us, the modern world has fully embodied this age-old notion that limitations and exceptions come before rules and aspirations. And what I mean by that is the spirit of the age which dominates our civilization has forced us into this wicked mentality that believes you cannot say or do something because there are exceptions. According to this way of thinking, you can't give one child a trophy because there are other children that won't get a trophy. You can't say that dogs have four legs because there will be one that lost a leg in an accident. There's this whole idea in the modern world that you can't assert a rule or an aspiration because there are going to be exceptions. We live in this day and age where the exception comes before the rule. The, the limitation comes before the aspiration. And this is foolish. It just tears down everyone rather than building anyone up. It makes us where we're not able to think clearly and it really doesn't do anything to, to move us towards holiness and the righteousness that Christ wants for us. Anthony, I'll let you, you weigh in on this. I was going to say, um, it really takes away our tools to be able to think. Um, you know, there are like generalizations that we can use to help improve our lives and that sort of thing. And I mean, Jesus honestly makes them all the time. Yeah. Uh, he's, <laughs> he very consistently makes um, generalizations. And the thing is, most of the time they are true, you know? Um, and so we really do have to leave that mode of thought behind where we're so focused on the exceptions. It's good to recognize they exist, yeah. but in recognizing they exist, we should remember the generalization and use that to our advantage. Yeah. And, and this really is where we're going to be looking today. And just to, to remind us, Jesus did not come to us and tell us to race to the bottom where we will have an equal existence in our depravity. He doesn't come to us and say, race to the bottom where you'll all be equal in your depravity because none of you can achieve salvation and perfection on your own. That is not at all what the gospel tells us. Instead, he comes to us and commands us to follow him out of spite for our shortcomings. As Christians, we must assert what is holy and not stumble before our shortcomings. And Pastor Anthony, I'm going to ask you to read for us out of Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deeds must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all of these, so what do I lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, 
they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the, thr on the throne of his glory, you will have followed me, you who have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Alright, so I want us to imagine this scene with Jesus from the perspective of the rich young man. And now, regardless of our youth or our material wealth, because I realize we all don't fit into that category, but regardless of where we're at, I want us to just put our feet in his shoes for a moment. Because we have all desired clear instruction from Jesus. And we find clear instruction in this text. Salvation and perfection are given to those who leave behind the things of temptation to follow Jesus. We have moments in life when we're trying to be righteous, but something is weighing on our hearts. So often this guy, the, the rich young man, he's given a bad rap for his questions. Yet, if we're honest, he's asking a very legitimate question, though it's probably embarrassing because the, the reputation that he kind of gets throughout Scripture. Though, um, early Christian tradition holds that this is actually Barnabas, who will later show up again in the early church. So, um, I don't have any way of confirming or denying that, but... Christian tradition holds that this, this man does come back to the flock. But sometimes in life, we ask embarrassing questions. And I'm sure we've all done that at some point in time. And that's really where he's at. He's coming with an embarrassing question, though he is appearing to be fairly honest in that, um, even though he may not be completely aware of where he's at in life. And sometimes we do that ourselves. We go and we ask a question, and we don't know as much about ourselves as we thought we did. We thought we knew more about a situation than we did. This guy, he is coming to Jesus, and Jesus is big enough to love us through these moments, and we should not shy away from being honest with Jesus. Anthony? I think part of the reason why he comes with this question is because although he's followed everything according to the law, and that which he knew, he hasn't yet left the world behind him. And um, it's a very interesting idea that a lot of times we come to church and we come to really God's presence in any way that we can find, you know, through reading the scriptures, reflecting on him, um, prayers and other sorts of things. And we wonder why it is that we're not experiencing uh, the joy and grace of the presence of God. And a lot of times it has to do with the fact that you can't arrive somewhere without leaving the place that you're at. And it seems like this rich young man wants to arrive in the kingdom of God, but hasn't yet entirely left the world. Yeah, and the, the moral value is not in just leaving for the sake of leaving. Because, I mean, it's like transform transformation alone has no um, value morally, neither does leaving. But the question is, where are you coming from and where are you going? Yes, uh, the destination is yeah, definitely the, important yeah, for that's, the so-called journey. what is totally essential. And the rich young man, it's clear that he's put forth Elliot, um, some effort to follow the law, and he wants to know what it is that he is lacking to be restored to eternal life. And now I'm intentionally using the language of restored to eternal life because, well, death, it's not originally meant to be part of the created order. And at some level, the rich young man, he knows this, regardless of whether or not he's realizing that. He may not be conscious of what the, the deep spirit of humanity knows. 
But this is how we often operate in life. We know that we want direction and guidance, but we're not really aware of how our minds think. We're not really aware of what's going on in the deep processes in our mind, those deep cavities within our, our brains. They're thinking up things. And uh, moreover, we often find that there's something tempting us without us even knowing that something is tempting us. Our conscious minds, they hunger for instruction when our unconscious mind sinks is a disturbance. Whenever the unconscious mind just senses a disturbance out there in the world, our conscious mind, it starts to get hungry for instruction. We kind of have a bit of an intuition, and I'm not using that in sort of a weird out there sense, just that the inner workings of our brain pick up on stuff that the conscious elements of our brain don't, and we kind of find ourselves in these moments where we want guidance that we don't necessarily know all the reasons why. And in these moments, we should come to Jesus. The rich young man, he thinks that he has done everything well. Perhaps he even thinks he has perfected his behavior. But Jesus knows his heart. And Jesus asks him to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. For this young man, this is the temptation that so easily entraps. The rich young man really doesn't want to leave where he is at, despite the fact that he's professing desire for full restoration as a child of God. He likes his circumstances, and it grieves him to consider leaving them. And we've all got something in our life that can easily entrap us. Moreover, as Jesus says, for mortals it is impossible. So there's going to be something that's easy to entrap us, something that's easy to stress us out. There's going to be something there for you. And the truth is, is Jesus knows more about the rich young man than the rich young man knows about himself. Perhaps he thinks he has perfected his walk, but Jesus knows there's still that temptation which is weighing him down. And there's something giving him an excuse from being the man he should be. And we all do this from time to time. We make arguments that we're not able to fully commit to something. We say, oh, I'm not yet in the stage of life where I'm liberated to do that. Sometimes we say we're not able to really be righteous because we just don't have the, the platforms, the avenues to do this. We point out the exception in our life and argue that that is why we cannot follow the rule. We point to the stumbling block and say that's why we can't travel that road. We point to the, to the one dog that's got his leg, you know, missing from a car accident. We say, well, you can't say dogs have four legs. We, we look at the exception and say there is no standards, there's no rules, and all that does is break us down. When we look at the, the Bible, we see the, the young man who comes and says, I believe, help my unbelief. He's coming there with his child. But Jesus wants us to say that. That's a good thing to say. It's better to say, I believe, help my unbelief, than to have someone say, I believe, and I will change my unbelief as soon as things in my life change. As soon as this thing in my life goes away, then I'll, I'll deal with my unbelief. That's, that's not what Jesus wants us to say. He wants us to come with us. He wants us to come with our, our honest understanding of where we're at, and even though it may be incomplete, but he wants us to come to him honestly and have that earnest desire for growth. And now that we've contemplated this scene from the position of the rich young man, I want us to now step into the shoes of the disciples. Because Jesus' disciples, they also ask a very legitimate question. They say, well, then who can be saved? These are people who are looking for clear instruction as well. But they are coming from a rather different angle. They've already committed to following Jesus. They've already given their hearts to him. And Jesus responds to them and gives them assurance. Salvation and perfection are given to those who leave behind the things of temptation and follow him. And as to this question, you know, who can be saved? Jesus is very abrupt in giving them a practical instruction regarding this question. On the surface, this text can be used to make an argument against material wealth and say that it's inherently sinful to be wealthy. 
And moreover, you can say, well, it, this is certainly true that God holds material wealth to be worthless in the course of eternity. And material wealth, it is a delectable allure. And therefore, it's an easy stumbling block. However, as you watch this text unfold, Jesus does not assert that people who are poor, materially poor, that they have easier access to eternal life simply because they are poor. In fact, he asserts something that is quite different. Jesus asks his, or excuse me, the disciples ask Jesus who can be saved, and they receive an answer that is both comforting and also difficult. For mortals, none can achieve salvation, but with God, it is possible. Now, it is completely true that it's difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's more easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But, as this text teaches us, it is also true that it is difficult for a poor person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Zero times five equals zero. Zero times a thousand still equals zero. The poor are mortals just as the rich are mortals. It is impossible for all mortals to find salvation and perfection on their own. And what we learn from this text is where you're at in life may be different because you have different stumbling blocks, but the truth of it is you're all mortals. You all have that same sin nature running through, and none of you are capable of finding salvation and perfection on your own. Jesus gives us great comfort in this, though, because he gives us a very abrupt truth. People are always looking for instructions. They're looking for formulas. A lot of times in the church we say, well, there's not a formula for this. You can't negotiate with God. But Jesus, when it comes to the things which really matter, the things pertinent to salvation, he actually gives people a pretty simple instruction. He says, all you've got to do is follow me with your whole heart. Do it. Just follow me honestly. And Jesus gives great comfort in contrast to this abrupt truth. Salvation and perfection are given to those who leave behind the things of temptation and follow him. And as a Christian, you can find comfort in this truth. Now, there are going to be many of you who still experience persecution. There will be those who bully you in life. You're going to find things which frustrate you. You may even put a few stumbling blocks before yourself. But if you are following Jesus sincerely and you're truly letting him be Lord of your life, you can find assurance that your salvation will be there. And you can have assurance that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to perfect you. When we look at ourselves, we do want a clear path for righteousness and peace. There's only one path that can truly take us to these things, and that is the way of life found through Christ Jesus. Our journey starts with how we organize our spiritual lives. And we are spiritual creatures, and everything we do is a spiritual matter. We want peace with how we navigate life, and we want peace with how we interact with others. Now, we can't force the hearts of others, but we can live out the gospel in our own lives. We want relief from the stressors we encounter at work. We want peace after we make mistakes. We want to have good relationships and be liberated from the, the things that so easily ensnare us. And the path for a good trajectory in life starts with how we follow Jesus. Jesus really wants us to have clarity. And whenever we have things that distract us, we kind of lose that clarity. Often we think we've outsmarted temptation and we find ourselves pursuing things that we think are not tempting, but yet maybe we haven't outsmarted temptation. We tell ourselves that we will pursue greater commitments and sanctification in the future, but all of this is just a stumbling block. Do not hesitate to put your life in order and do the work of following Jesus. Following Jesus will occupy your entire life. Furthermore, don't start by saying, well, I'll expect the world around me to change before I have any personal change. That's not how it works. Don't start by saying, well, I'm going to wake up one day and be in utopia where everything will be easy and then I'll be able to do all of these things. I'll be able to fully commit. That is not how it works at all. That's not what Jesus teaches us.
The rich young man, but he, he, he didn't realize this, but he had bought into the mentality that the exceptions come before the rule. Even though his conscious mind was unaware of it, his subconscious mind had allowed him to believe that the limitations define who you are, rather than God who will elevate you beyond those limitations. The rich young man didn't even realize that he was limited by his wealth. He thought that he had outsmarted his temptation, and he had no idea that he was being played along. He was playing right into the temptations all along. He thought he had bested them, but he hadn't. The subconscious mind of the rich young man had bought into this idea that you can't really commit men. You can kind of commit, but not fully. Maybe you'll have more time in the future. You'll have more money. You'll have something different. Your family situation will be different. People always make these excuses, but the truth is, is Jesus wants us to commit now. He thinks he can do his best by living by the law, but he just can't walk away from that one thing. And besides, the thing that tempted him, material wealth, it's not actually inherently sinful. Material wealth, it has no moral value. It's an item, and you'll hear me talk about this all the time. Items are not sinful. They are things that we interact with in the world. It's our behaviors that are sinful. Sins are behaviors, and we sin with how we interact with the world. That is how sin works. Material wealth, it becomes a stumbling block when we behave sinfully in relation to it. This man, he allowed the material wealth in his life to hold him back. It was not an excuse to not fully commit to Jesus, but he kind of believed that it was. We want reconciliation in life. Just as this rich young man, he wants reconciliation. He wants to be restored to the intended state for humanity. However, we often find that we stumble in pursuit of righteousness because we are not willing to walk away from that which tempts us the most. Yet Jesus' instruction is clear. Salvation and perfection are given to those who leave behind the things of temptation and follow him. Don't wait until your circumstances are different. Don't lose heart and think that since you are mortal, you can't be saved and you cannot be perfected. If Jesus is Lord of your life, he will send his spirit. The way of life that is found through Christ Jesus is not an easy route through this side of Eden, but it is the only way that can bring us to the destiny which God has designed for us. We have to be willing to walk away from that which easily tempts. The rich young man, he wanted the accoutrements of eternal life without giving up the thing that kept him from it. It's not easy to walk away from these things, but we must. If we want relief from the stresses of the world around us, it starts with how we organize our spiritual lives. We are spiritual creatures and everything we do is a spiritual matter. Back to those questions I asked earlier, I want you to examine your life as a spiritual matter. And look, is there something that is holding you back? Something that is a stumbling block in your own life? Don't build your spiritual life around these stumbling blocks in the sense that you are emphasizing and that you think that is its maximum potential. But instead, once you know what these stumbling blocks are, organize your life around the truth that Jesus can bring you past those stumbling blocks. Organize your life around the fact that Jesus, he can be with you, he can fortify you and move you past those so that you can go down the way of life. We've all been born sinners and we all need the power of Jesus. Come to him and ask him to reveal to you what these stumbling blocks are and then organize your life so that Jesus can bring you past them. And in that second question there, do you have the assurance? The scriptures give us great conviction on this. We look around us and we can look to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is something which is promised to us and is true. Salvation and perfection are given to those who leave behind the things of temptation and follow him. Now, it's not an easy walk. 
It's not going to be easy in everything that we do, but this is who we are called to be. Salvation and perfection are given to those that leave behind the things of temptation and follow him. And that's where we're going to wrap up our message today. Anthony, do you have any final thoughts before we pray and close? So, um, if you could very briefly uh, explain this sort of issue. A lot of times whenever people hear perfect, they can hear all sorts of things, yep. as you well know. Um, so, could you briefly explain sort of the difference between maybe the world's idea of perfection and what Christian perfection is? Sure. And the, the illustration that I generally use for this is a clarinet. Um, so... I, I like to hobby and tinker with things. I go to different places and buy basically junk and play around with it. Uh, a couple years ago, which has probably actually been about a decade ago, uh, I was at a antique store somewhere and I found a clarinet that they had kind of packaged together with some broke lamps. And they're like, yeah, you can buy this clarinet and make it into a lamp. And I was looking at it. It's a fairly old clarinet. The It's probably made in the 1870s. And I bought this thing for like $15. And if you know anything about clarinets, they're made out of wood. The older ones are. Um, some newer ones are too. Um, they've got a piece of them that's called a barrel that sits between the mouthpiece and the rest of the instrument. Well, this one, its barrel had a huge hole in it about the size of a pencil's eraser, um, which would completely make it unplayable. And then the rest of the instrument had a lot of cracks and stuff around it. The springs and stuff were kind of messed up. But didn't pay much for this instrument. Um, I didn't have any intentions on making it into a lamp. I just wanted to fool around with it and see if I could restore it to playable capacity. So I get it home, um, get some ashes and super glue and fill in the holes and stuff and patch it up, oil this thing up, kind of dismantle it, tinker with the springs and stuff and get everything where it works. And at the end of the day, the clarinet plays beautifully. It's an old wooden French clarinet that has no other markings other than, other than a stamp that says France. And it plays very, very well. It plays better than a lot of much more expensive clarinets that I've experienced. And the thing is is this instrument has reached that level of perfection where it is returned back to what it was supposed to be. It is functioning as it should. It is no longer a lamp. It's no longer something else. Yeah, there's some cracks and scars in it, but they have been filled in, and now it is functional again, and it is now doing beautiful things. And that's really how Christian perfection is. It's not this idea that you're going to be 100% without flaw so much as it is as you have been restored to how God designed you, what God called you for, and you're actually able to live that way. So I hope that kind of answers that question a little bit, Anthony. Yeah, definitely. Um, my favorite example is that of a rusty shovel. It's rusty, obviously. The wood's almost falling apart. But you know what? Most of the time you can still dig a hole with it, and if you need to find a shovel... Even it's been hard to find one, and you finally find it in the shed somewhere. You're gonna say perfect, you know, and you go, you're gonna go dig the hole with it. But you see so. the, the way that Anthony's smiling about this is Anthony has just volunteered himself for manual labor with inadequate tools. So, um, hey man, as long as it, you know, it's strong, you know, it's grainy wood though. As, oh man, that's as, hey, yeah. you know what? It's still perfect though. Yeah, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, no, no, you're totally right. That that is a good example as well. Um, so with that. We hope that you've enjoyed this. Anthony, if you'll close us in prayer. I will. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you humbly, and we pray that you would help us to have more fully devoted hearts, that in coming to you, we could remember to leave behind the world. Lord, we pray that we would remember that it is, no, that it is good to be near you, that it is good to be in your presence. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify our hearts, 
in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So thank you for joining us. Check out our YouTube channel. We got to boost that growth over there. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.